Thank you for listening to this recent message from the Rescue Church. We pray that God will use this message to encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your faith journey. If you'd like to learn more about the Rescue Church, please visit us online at therescuechurch.com. Welcome back to, I think this is week five of our series called Empty Promises that we've been in now as we are going through the book of what? What's the Old Testament book we're studying? Ecclesiastes, which was written by who? Solomon, who was a what? He was a king of Israel. He was a king of Israel. He was the wisest man other than Jesus Christ. Solomon is the wisest man who ever walked the face of this earth. Why are we calling this series Empty Promises? Because here's kind of the big idea of Ecclesiastes. Solomon writes it from the perspective, this is so important not to miss this. There's a phrase all throughout the book, the phrase is under the sun. Solomon is examining life under the sun, which means removed from, apart from God. And Solomon's answers, his conclusions that he comes to about life are very dark and kind of brooding. It's kind of a fatalistic book when we read through it because, because again, he's talking about life removed from God. And he finds it to be a very meaningless, empty hopeless, vain existence without God. Now there is good news, and that's when we start to bring God into the equation, all of this changes, but as we read this wisdom of Solomon, man, he basically tells us, gang, I've been down this road, it's hopeless, it's pointless, it's meaningless, it's vanity, and he would give us wisdom to encourage us to not live a life that is removed from God. I believe personally, gang, I, so it was last year in my Bible reading as I was reading through Ecclesiastes, I've read it before, but for some reason it just hit me so real last year, like this is such a relevant book for our culture today. And so I put the, the I just kind of filed the idea away in what I call my little series crock pot and just let it simmer for a while, let it cook. And then this year I just decided we're going to take some time and go through the book of Ecclesiastes, just little chunk by little chunk, and let the wisdom of Solomon just speak into our lives today. So here's what I want to do. As today, we're going to open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We're going to cover verses 12 through verse 26. I want to start today by asking you to think about something with me. We are going to compare and contrast two different profiles of people, okay? And I'm going to ask you to consider with me which one is the, the more preferable profile of people. We're going to start with what the wisdom literature in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes often talks about, and that is the wise, okay? So we're going to talk about the profile of those who walk in the path of wisdom. Let me describe this person for you or this group of people. This would be the person that follows the rules, if you will, of our society that says, hey, study hard in school, okay? Like, get a good education, learn as much as you can. When you graduate, get a good job, work hard at that job, be a contributing member to society. What do we mean by that? It's someone who's kind of pulling your own weight, you're giving back to the world, you're making a difference in the world, you're, you're working hard and helping other people out. Um, generally, again, you're, you're following the rules, so you're not being a drain on society like we're going to talk about in just a minute. And generally, the people who walk in wisdom are usually kind of upbeat, optimistic, have a positive outlook on life. You get the picture? People who walk in wisdom. As opposed to what Scripture would call the foolish, who embrace folly. Let me just describe this mindset of people. This would be a group of people that, unlike the wise, they despise learning. 
It's not just that they struggle in school. They, they just flat out don't want to learn. They don't want to be there. Whereas the wise work hard, the, the foolish are often lazy. The, the Proverbs talks a lot about the sluggard, the lazy man who doesn't want to work. I don't want to work. As a matter of fact, I, I think the people who work ought to support me. I actually have an entitlement where I feel like those who are contributing ought to help carry my weight. Instead of me giving back to society, I'm actually kind of a drain on society. I create problems that they have to carry and fix. I don't follow the rules, uh, even to the point of committing crime. Like, I cause a lot of problems in our society. I kind of have a generally negative outlook on life. I'm embracing folly and foolishness of those two profiles which do you think is probably the preferable path what do you think it's not a trick question just seeing if anyone's okay a couple of you are like i think the wise some of you are really undecided that's okay because solomon tells us he's gonna start today in verse 12 by basically saying i compared both of these his conclusion is actually going to surprise some of us and might actually be a little bit of a gut punch so get ready, tighten up the, tighten up the core, because we're about to get slugged in the gut. Listen to what he says. So I decided, verse 12, to compare wisdom with foolishness and madness. For who can do this better than I, the king? Kind of what he's saying is, because of all of my wealth and resources, I can, do, I can fund this lifelong experiment. I can go hard down this path, and I can go hard down this path, and I've got a lot of money to fund both lifestyles. And he did. He, he examined both. Here's his conclusion. I thought... Now he's going to give a nod to what a few of you said. This is probably the better path to go. He says, I thought wisdom is better than foolishness, just as light is better than darkness. For the wise can see where they are going, but fools walk in the dark. Okay, so Solomon's like, this is probably the better path. I've been down on both. This is probably the better path. But here comes the gut punch. He says, yet I saw that the wise and the foolish share the same fate. Are you ready for this, church? Both will what both will die he goes on to say so i said to myself since i will end up the same as the fool what's the value of all my wisdom this is also meaningless for the wise and the foolish both die the wise will not be remembered any longer than the fool in the days to come both will be forgotten so i came to hate life because everything done here under the sun there's that phrase again is so troubling Everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Remember I warned you in week one of this series, this isn't always the most encouraging stuff to read, right? What is Solomon saying here, church? Solomon is basically saying that death is the great equalizer. I'm, by the way, I'm titling this series, the, or this message today, The Funeral I Can't Avoid. How many of you love funerals? That's what I thought. Nobody has their hand up. I don't love funerals. But guess what? As much as I don't like going to funerals, there's one I cannot avoid. Whose funeral might that be? Mine. And you've got one too. And Solomon is saying death is the great equalizer. Regardless of what path you're on, regardless of how high we climb, we all end up six feet under. And Solomon is saying what we like to forget about and pretend is not true. We, Solomon is saying we all have an appointment with death approaching. I believe that Solomon is writing this book in the later stages of his life as he sees his last day fast approaching. 
And I feel like Solomon is writing this, kind of looking back over the shoulder of his life, and I really believe that who he has in the crosshairs of his scope, I believe is younger people. Not that old people like myself, because I'm 40 now, and I think in Scripture, once you hit 40, you're starting to get into the world of the old people. I really believe that. Um, So not that old people like myself can't gain knowledge and wisdom from what Solomon is saying, but I really feel like Solomon is trying to get the attention of you high school seniors, of you young adults who've just graduated, who are just getting started in life, and he's basically saying, hey guys, listen to me, I went down both paths apart from God, under the sun, and I found it all to be meaningless. I, the path I went down, it was popular, but I found it to be very pointless and very hopeless. Because at the end of the day, both die. Question, have you ever heard this phrase? I'm going to say it, and you give me the last word. Fill in the blank for me. I've seen this on bumper stickers, t-shirts, Facebook memes, and here's what it says. Whoever dies with the most toys, what? wins you've seen it too right now we know that's meant to be kind of funny whoever dies with the most toys wins but the truth is we live much of our lives as though that's true we live our lives chasing after accomplishment achievement and acquiring stuff because way deep down there's something in us that fundamentally believes whoever dies with the most toys wins i think solomon would alter that statement a little bit to say Whoever dies with the most toys still dies. And he's getting ready to tell us what's going to happen to all those cool toys we work so hard to achieve and accomplish and acquire. He goes on to say in verse 18, listen to this. He says, I came to hate all my hard work here on earth, for I must leave to others everything I have earned. And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish, yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless, he says. So I gave up in despair, questioning the value of all my hard work in this world. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill, then must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This, too, is meaningless, a great tragedy. And then listen to what he says and just ask yourself, is this not where we live in our culture today? He says, so what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It is all so meaningless. I think Solomon knew what life in the United States was going to be like in 2019. I think he almost knew there was going to be a whole culture of people that followed the rules, studied hard, worked hard, and and then this life that we're chasing so hard after just causes us stress and anxiety. It keeps us up at night. It's not satisfying. It's not fulfilling. By the way, how's your sleep? What does it say about our culture when it, for so many of us, it requires alcohol at bedtime to be able to go to sleep or sleeping drugs just to be able to go to sleep? By the way, physiologically, all of that stuff keeps you from getting into deep, restful REM sleep. I'm just geeking out on some of this as I'm learning it in the fire service and what that means. So anyway, that's not really helping you. What does it say about us, though, that we have to have these external supplements to help us sleep? We're not at peace. Like I said last week, I believe we're some of the most stressed and depressed people on the planet. Solomon, here's a summary of what he's saying. 
Common knowledge, common wisdom, the American dream, if we want to call it that, the rules of our society, we say, hey, kids, stay in school, work hard, study hard. Why? Why, you ask? Good question. So you can graduate and get a good job. Why do I need to graduate and get a good job? Because the good jobs pay more than the not-so-good jobs. Why do I want a job that pays more? Duff, stay with me here, kid, because then you can buy more stuff. You can have a bigger, nicer, newer house, and you can fill that nicer or newer house with more toys and more stuff. Here's the bad news. You're not going to get to enjoy much of that nice new stuff because you're going to be working so hard to attain it. And this brief life is going to come by so fast and your appointment with death will be here before you know it. And all that stuff you work so hard to achieve, accomplish, and acquire, they're going to have an auction and your neighbors are going to show up and get a little number on a white piece of paper and they're going to bid and pay pennies on the dollar for the stuff you work so hard for and it all goes to someone else. It's kind of pointless. Hope you guys enjoyed church today and, you know, have a good week. We'll see you later. I hope there's more, John. This is kind of depressing. Essentially, Solomon is saying, if our funeral is the grand finale, why are we working so hard? If the funeral is the grand finale, why am I getting up on Monday morning and getting ready to bust it for another pointless week of work and strain and struggle if when it all comes to the end of the day, whether I'm wise or foolish, the world isn't going to remember me and everyone else gets my toys? And remember what we've said in previous weeks in this series, church, do not miss this. This is so relevant for our culture today. When we believe the lies we have been taught... They are lies when we have the worldview that says we came from nothing and no one. There is no God, no designer of life. This whole world and earth and the natural world we see accidentally showed up by random freak evolutionary chance. There was no God outside of time and space and matter who made it. And when we die, we are going to nothing and no one and nowhere. So good luck in this brief little gap called life trying to find meaning and purpose and fulfillment because there's nothing when you die. If our funeral is the grand finale, Solomon says, why are we working so hard? It's pointless. But church, I need to ask you the question, what if our funeral is not our grand finale? What if that is actually a big, huge lie that has been foisted upon mankind, that there is no God, no creator, we came from nothing, and when we die, we're going to no one and nowhere? What if God's word actually teaches us something entirely different, that long before time, space, and matter existed, there was an eternal God who had no beginning, because he needs nothing and no one to sustain himself. He is all-sustaining in and of himself. And in the beginning of time, that God spoke into the darkness, the nothingness, and that God said, let there be light. Bam! This massive explosion rocks the universe and creation is born. What if that's actually true? And what if that God created us for far more than a 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 year span of life in this planet? What if God created us for eternity? We're going to find out when we get into Chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is going to tell us that is in fact the case, that God has put eternity in the hearts of men. Our funeral is not the final destination, and there's more to live for. So here's what Solomon says, verse 24, let's keep going. So I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of who? Who? 
God. This is the first time that Solomon is really acknowledging God. A couple weeks ago, he was blaming God for all the meaninglessness in life as he's trying to live his, part, his life apart from God. But now he's turning to the Lord a little bit. He says, Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God, for who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? See, here's the big idea. I think Solomon is telling us, if you want to write this down, kind of a summary statement on your notes, that the gifts of God are incomplete apart from their giver. And this is why I believe Ecclesiastes is so relevant to our culture today because I think there is a whole culture of people around us that are trying to find meaning and purpose in the gifts of God apart from a relationship with the giver of those gifts. And just like Solomon, they're finding no meaning and no purpose in the gifts apart from the giver of the gifts. That's what Solomon did. Solomon went hard down all these different paths in life, but he did it without a relationship with the Lord, and he found it to be meaningless. So here's what Solomon is basically saying. Hey, gang, here's the deal. Enjoy lunch today. Enjoy drinking today. Don't drink to the point of being drunk, but whatever your drink of choice is, enjoy it. Your work, it matters. Find meaning and satisfaction and fulfillment in your life because this is God's gift from his hand to you to eat and drink and to find enjoyment in work. But if you try and find meaning in all of that apart from the one who gives those gifts, it is a, it's like chasing the wind, he says. It's empty, it's vanity, and it's meaningless. He goes on to say this, last verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and we'll, we'll pause here today. Verse 26, he says, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who what? church please him catch this put this in your mind because we're going to park on this in just a moment god gives so notice it's coming from the lord as a gift wisdom knowledge and joy to those who please him but now watch on the flip side but if a sinner becomes wealthy god takes the wealth away and gives it to those who please him this too is meaningless like chasing the wind what is solomon saying he's kind of contrasting two different groups of people he's saying there are groups of people who are going through an empty, meaningless life. He calls them sinners. And there are people who are experiencing meaning and fulfillment and peace and knowledge and all this stuff as gifts from God. And this group of people, what distinguishes them? This group of people pleases God. This group of people does not please God. They live their life as though God is not there and does not have any part of their life. And as a result, they're chasing the wind. A meaningless life that when it comes to the end, all of it goes to someone else, and they're soon forgotten. If that's true, it begs the question that I hope some of you are already ahead of me asking yourself. What does it take to please God? How do I get in this group of people, those who please God, so that I can experience all of those gifts from God's hands and enjoy them? Let me give you a wrong answer, and then let me give you God's answer to that question. And don't miss this. This is really important. Religion has an answer to that question, how do I please God? And let me define religion. Religion is man's attempt to earn right standing with God, to earn God's favor through my own moral self-effort. And there's a lot of different religions out there. There's, I would even contend there's a lot of religion that flies under the banner of Christianity and so subtly turns people away from Jesus and to their own moral self-effort and good works. 
That's religion's answer to the question, how do I please God? Is simply put, you got to work hard for it, kid. Get on the spiritual treadmill and try really hard every single day to be a good person because when your appointment with death comes and it's the funeral you can't avoid, hopefully at the end of the day, all of your good will outweigh all of your bad and you will have earned God's favor and, and he will basically say, you have earned the right to be with me in eternity. That's religion's answer. Try really hard. Do a bunch of rules, follow this, don't do this, do this, stand up, recite this, sit down, go through these milestones that we define. It's a form of godliness with no power, no relationship with the Savior. Jesus Christ did not come to this earth to give us religion. Jesus Christ came to this earth to offer us a relationship with him through which we would be forgiven of our sin and restored back into a right relationship with the God who created us. And how do we get that? How do, how do I please God? This is such an important verse. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Okay, we still got one projector. Good. All right, you guys need to see this. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, And without what, church? I'm gonna, let's say it like we believe it. And without what? Faith. Faith. It is impossible to please God. doesn't say without hard works and trying really hard and make sure you get confirmed, make sure you get baptized, make sure you give the right amount of money to the church, make sure you hold the doors for old ladies at the store, at least when other people are watching, right? Like it doesn't say it, that. It says without faith. It is impossible to please God. You want to know how you please God? You please God through faith. It goes on to say, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. What does it look like to put my faith in God? What does it look like practically to put my faith in Jesus? Hear me on this. There was a wise, wise, wise man with way more wisdom, money, stuff than you will ever have in this lifetime. He lived thousands of years before you. He went down that road. Anything you can imagine, he went down that road without Jesus. And he says, it is meaningless and hopeless and pointless. Save yourself the agony and turn to Christ right now while you're young. And receive him as your Lord and Savior. Put your faith and trust in him. Why? Because without faith... It is impossible to please God. Without faith in Christ, you are in this category that Solomon says, these are the sinners who are living a meaningless, hopeless, purposeless life, waiting for their appointment with death. And it's not going to be a good day on that day. I love how it goes on to say that God, we, we believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Church, can we just celebrate the fact that the God we serve is not a God of punishment. He is a God of reward. See, religion introduces us to a God who punishes. Religion introduces us to an angry God who just can't wait to smack us upside the head when we step out of line. Jesus came to introduce us to a God who calls us into a relationship, who forgives us, who saves us, and then rewards us with stuff we don't deserve. And check it out. You should write this down on your notes. It's not on your screen. But I believe that the gifts of Jesus are both present and eternal. What do we mean by that? That the gifts, the, the rewards that Jesus gives those who please him are both here and now. Write down John 10, verse 10. We won't look at it, but if you go look that up, you'll hear Jesus say that the enemy, the devil, the thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus goes on to say, I have come that they may have life and have it more 
abundantly. For those who please God, for those, and remember, it's through our faith that we please God. So when we put our faith in Jesus and he pours out his rewards in our life, those rewards happen right here and right now with an abundant life. I just got to tell you this. Like, I didn't plan on saying this early this week as I was preparing this. But yesterday, we had kind of an unusual for our family lazy day where we didn't really have anything on the calendar. We're just hanging out at the house. Kind of fun to have those every once in a while. And uh, I don't even know how we got on the subject of doing it, but, but before I realized it, myself and my wife and my daughter were just going through old photos, watching our kids grow up in pictures, and just looking at the different places we've been, the experiences we've had, and it just hit me again like it's hit me so many times before. I have such an abundant life in Jesus not because I deserve it or because of how hard I've worked to earn his favor. I can't even show you mathematically with a calculator and a pencil how I've been able to afford the life I have. But as I look back over my abundant life, what I realize is this. I promise we have not done it perfectly, but our faith has been in Jesus. And as a family, we have earnestly sought him and he has blessed us with so much reward and abundant life. It's incredible. So I read Solomon's words and I'm like, that's not the life I'm living, Solomon. Sorry, you had a meaningless life. I have found a life of meaning and purpose. Why? Because I please God with my life, and he pours out rewards that are here and now in this life. Young people, hear me on this. The devil's going to tell you everything he can to convince you that the world has all the stuff you could ever want, and Jesus is on the other side of this chasm offering you life and abundant life of meaning and purpose. You have a choice to make. Man, choose Jesus. I believe that the, the rewards of, of Jesus are also eternal. Jot down, if you will, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. If you go look at that passage of Scripture, you're going to hear Jesus say this. He's going to tell us, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. And he tells us why. It's not that Jesus is mad if we have some nice stuff and some treasures on earth, but here's the problem with earthly treasures. Jesus isn't mad about your nice house or your nice car or the new, new toy you got yesterday or whatever, but here's, here's what he says is the problem with earthly treasures. He says, where moth and rust destroy, meaning it breaks down, it falls apart, it rusts, it rots. He says, thieves break in and steal. Someone's coming to steal your car. Mine's very easy to steal because I never take the keys out of it or I'd lose them, so they're there, okay? Like, thieves will break in and steal. And Jesus says this, listen, lay up for yourselves instead treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. Because when your treasure's in heaven, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus isn't mad about his kids storing up treasure for themselves. He's just telling us to put it where it matters, where it will last. But, but as I read Solomon's words, I'm just reminded, like, we serve a God who rewards us. When Solomon says that these are gifts from God's hands, we can actually enjoy the gifts of God, but it's hard to enjoy the gifts of God when we're trying to enjoy them removed from a relationship with the giver of those gifts. Does that make sense? Solomon found it to be so empty and so meaningless. My question for you today, church, is this. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? If not, in just a moment, I'm going to close in a word of prayer, and my challenge to you would be to receive Jesus today. From your heart, believe, and from your mouth, cry out to him and say, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and my Savior today. I want to speak to the Christians real quick, though. I got one more verse that's especially for you. 
Christians, I want to ask you this question because a Christian would say, yes, John, I have put my faith in Jesus. That's awesome. Praise God for your testimony of salvation. But Christian, here's my question. Have you put your hope in Jesus? Are you finding your hope in Christ? Or are you, would you be honest and say, you know what, I, I find my hope in the stock market. I find my hope in how my sports team is doing. If you're a Vikings fan, that is a horrible place to have your hope. I find my hope and meaning in other things. Are you finding your hope in Christ? One more thought that comes to my mind. As I was preparing this message this week, my mind kept going to these words where the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to a young pastor by the name of Timothy. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says this. This ties in beautifully with the wisdom of Solomon that had been written thousands of years prior to this moment. Here's what Paul says to Timothy, to this young pastor. Notice this. He says, command. This isn't optional. This is a command those who are rich in this present world. And I will just remind us all, as people in the western part of the world, citizens of the United States of America, I know we're told by the media all the time that we're lacking and our lives are terrible, but I got to tell you the truth. This is us. We are some of the richest people the world has ever seen. And Paul is saying to Timothy, tell the Americans in 2019, the richest people the world has ever seen, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in what, church? Wealth. Which is so what? Uncertain. Anybody seen the markets lately? Anybody taken that ride up and down the roller coaster where your 401k turns into a 201k in a very short period of time? He says it's uncertain. Don't put your hope in it. But we do. We put our hope in a lot of things other than Christ. But Paul goes on to say instead to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our what? Enjoyment. Remember, I think it was last Sunday or the week before, I can't remember what I said from one week to the next, but we talked about the, the, the poverty theology and we contrasted that to the you know, prosperity theology and said they're both wrong. The, the poverty theology would have us believe that God wants us miserable and broke. Paul is saying, no, hey, rich people, God has given you wealth for your enjoyment. Solomon, does that not line up with what Solomon said? These are gifts from God's hands. Like, it is okay to enjoy the meals we eat, the jobs we work, the homes we live in, the cars we drive, the stuff we have. It's okay to enjoy it. Paul is just saying, don't put your hope in it. Instead, put your hope in God, who is the giver of this stuff. And then he goes on to say, command them, those of us who are rich, to do good to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will, oh, look at this, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. When is this age coming? It's coming after their funeral. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Solomon was not able to grasp that life that is truly life because he tried finding meaning and purpose in life apart from God under the sun. Paul is saying there's a whole nother life above the sun, beyond the sun, that comes through the one and only Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we put our faith and trust in Him, when we put our hope in Him, man, we can find a life that's meaningful and purposeful and enjoyable 
and we can live it all to the glory of God, amen? Church, has your faith in Jesus, is your hope in Jesus today? If not, I would challenge you to turn to him in prayer right now as we close out in a word of prayer. I'm going to invite our ushers to come forward at this time as well, and we're going to uh, wait on you for an offering today. You know, again, it's just very fitting as we are hearing these words of a wise king who had all this stuff, and we're hearing the words thousands of years later from one of the greatest missionaries who ever lived who basically said, hey, church, if you're trying to find your meaning and purpose in money and stuff, it's empty, it's pointless. But we can give and we can send it on ahead and we can lay up treasures for ourselves in the life that is truly life. And one of the ways we can do that is through worshiping God with our with our financial wealth right here and right now. That's what happens in an offering, by the way. Did you know that? This isn't just some cheap fundraising thing for the church. This is a moment of worship where we as God's people prove that our money really is where our mouth is. We stand in church and sing about God. We surrender all to him, and he owns it all, right? An offering is an opportunity for us to say, Lord, I'm demonstrating with faithful, cheerful giving from my limited resources back to you, my limitless God, I'm demonstrating my faith and trust in you and my acknowledgement that you own every part of my life. So let's worship God well today with this offering, church. Let's be generous, cheerful givers. Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. God in heaven, thank you for this time that you've given to us. Jesus, I thank you for the wise words of Solomon, who, unfortunately for him, went down so many dead-end roads without meaning, without purpose, and found it all to be empty and meaningless But God, to our advantage, if we learn from his wisdom without following his example, we can be spared all of that. We can come to the conclusion at a much younger age in our life that with God, life is very meaningful and purposeful and enjoyable. And we can find our hope and our fulfillment and our satisfaction in you and in you alone, Jesus. God, I pray if there's anybody here today listening to this message who up to this point in their life has never truly surrendered their heart to you, that right now, Jesus, this would be this moment of faith where they turn to you and say, Jesus, please come into my heart. I need you as my Lord and my Savior. For the Christians in the audience today, Lord, for those of us who are truly your church here and now, I pray that we would find our hope in you and you alone, Jesus. That we would be able to have a life that is so rich and abundant and meaningful and pleasurable and enjoyable because we are walking step by step, earnestly seeking the Savior instead of trying to find meaning outside of you. Lord, please use this message to convict us, to encourage us, and to challenge us to take steps forward in obedience as we follow you. I pray for this offering that we're getting ready to receive now, Lord Jesus. Might this truly be an act of worship from our hearts to yours. Might you find in this place surrendered hearts to you. And might we be people who please you through our faith. Lord Jesus, we love you. It's in your precious name we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Rescue Church Past Messages. To hear our messages live, head to one of our physical campuses or check out our iCampus at therescuechurch.tv. 